Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Today's sermon is part one of a sermon series that we'll be calling The Empty Tomb. We'll start in verse 50 of chapter 23, and I'll read through to verse 12 of chapter 24 of the book of Luke. Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible word. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. So in Genesis chapter 2, recall the word that the Lord spoke to us in chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying... Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Brothers and sisters, surely death came into the garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And sin and death spread throughout the world from that point, from that place, from that point in time, from the Garden of Eden. But as we see now, Christ, the second Adam, in perfect obedience, brought conquest over death, rising to invincible life in this garden that we read about today. And righteousness and life are spreading throughout the world 
ever since his resurrection from the dead. Praise be to God. And that is why we are here. Sunday after Sunday. Not any other day of the week. Until he returns. Victorious, finally, with all of his enemies under his feet. That's why we're here. We're here because of the empty tomb. We're here on Sunday because the empty tomb was on a Sunday. So today's sermon is really just going to look at the when of the empty tomb. What we call the first day Sabbath. You're going to perhaps see some things in the scriptures that you haven't learned before. Because most modern translations don't get it right. And we're going to look at that today. So, when? The first day Sabbath, very early in the morning. As we go on, we'll look at the who, the women, the where. They went to the tomb. Why they went, bringing prepared spices for his dead body that they thought to find there. Their, their form of worship. And what they found there was the stone rolled away and an empty tomb. And their first response Without any instruction, similar to our first response in many ways, I'm sure, in life situations, is they were greatly perplexed. (laughs) They didn't know what to think. But God gave them two angels to announce the resurrection. We see that in verses 4 through 7, and we'll eventually get to that. And then there's their response of faith. They remember. These women believe what they are told. And then, of course... At the end of today's sermon, in each of these sections along the way, take a look at ourselves. We'll see, do we believe the truth? How are we impacted by the Word of God? So today's message will focus on the when of the resurrection. So you should think to yourself, the first day Sabbath. So we're going to look at that. The text says, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. Let's look first at the first day Sabbath in the Gospels. And I'm thankful to Pastor Kaiser for uh, some helpful teaching on this. I've linked that for you in your sermon notes. So you can go and see a, a more extensive teaching about how Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. And how insisting on maintaining the seventh day Sabbath is not biblical. <clears throat> so let's look at it together. Luke 24, verse 1, today's text. It says, on the first day of the week. You can see the Greek there. I've underlined the Greek word for Sabbath. The literal means now on the first day Sabbath. You see the word day there in parentheses because it's an implied word. It's not there in the Greek. But we know the word first cannot be uh, modifying Sabbath because it is feminine. And Sabbath is masculine. So it's modifying the implied word day. And that's why all the translations will put that word day in there. Going on now to Matthew 28.1. What I'm going to show you is every gospel account says the same thing. And you have to be asking yourself, what is this Sabbath? Matthew 28.1 in the New King James says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn. You see, I've put the Greek there for you. And twice in the Greek text, the word Sabbath is present. And the literal is now after the Sabbaths, as the first day Sabbath began to dawn. 
So we see there again this phrase, the first day Sabbath. Now as an aside, this text here has mystified a lot of folks along throughout the years because it has the idea of Sabbaths. Why is it after Sabbaths? Well, we looked at this before. It's because there were two Sabbaths back to back that particular year. The typical Saturday Sabbath of the Jews and the day before that, which was the high Sabbath that kicked off the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover day. There were two Sabbaths back to back that they had to wait before they could go and anoint his body with the spices. And it's right there in the Word of God. It was Sabbaths that they waited through. But that's an aside from today's sermon, just going back to other teaching you've already heard. As the first day Sabbath began to dawn. So it's not as the first day of the week began to dawn. Now, of course, it is the first day of the week. And you can see why translators might go ahead and say that. But Mark 16, we see the exact same language. I'll read verses 1, 2, and 9. You see underlined there the key words in English. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. So, here in these three verses, you see verse 1, I have the Greek there for you again, and the literal is now when the Sabbath was passed. So that's the word for Sabbath. Then in verse 2, again, the King James says the first day of the week, but literally it is the first day Sabbath. And then verse 9, same thing again, first day of the week in the English translation, but the literal is on the first day Sabbath. This is not just one of the Gospels, it's all four. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. You see the Greek there again, and again you see that Greek word for Sabbath. That is not the Greek word for week. Now it is true that occasionally it can mean week, but there is a Greek word available for week that would have been used in this situation. Not the Greek word Sabbath. That is very unlikely that all of these authors would use this same word and never resort to the typical Greek word for week. Now on the first day Sabbath, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. So let this sink in. Because you will hear people say, oh, we worship God on Sunday out of tradition. We've changed it. We just do it because the church did it. But the Bible says it has to be the seventh day forever and ever. You will hear this. And I think it's important for you to know the Word of God and what the Scriptures say about the Christian Sabbath. You see, in every Gospel account of the resurrection, the day of the resurrection is called a first day Sabbath with that word day implied. There's a Greek word available for week, as I've said, but instead every author uses the Greek word for Sabbath. This is a Sabbath day in the mind of the writers of the Gospels. That's the point I'm trying to emphasize. In the writers of the Gospels, all four of them, every single author saw this resurrection day as a Sabbath day. See, they were looking back upon that great day of Christ's resurrection. They were looking back 
when they wrote it down, thinking back on that day. And they all described that day as a Sabbath day. In addition, it's important to note that Christ was resurrected on the Jewish day called First Fruits, which was never considered a Jewish Sabbath day. Hence, the only explanation is that Jesus Christ's resurrection created a new Sabbath day. One that was not a part of the Jewish calendar system. But wait a minute, wouldn't this first Sabbath, first day Sabbath phrasing be confusing to them? Why speak this way? Wouldn't it be confusing? No. Pastor Kaiser, to those who object that the concept of a first day Sabbath would have been confusing, it should be pointed out that exactly the same language is repeatedly used in the Old Testament. The phrase first day Sabbath as well as eighth day Sabbath occur in the Hebrew of Leviticus chapter 23 verse 39, for example. The Septuagint translation of the Old Testament makes provision for the midweek Sabbath by providing titles to some of the Psalms, such as a Psalm of David on a first day Sabbath. That's from Psalm 24. A song of praise for the sons of Kor on a second day Sabbath. That's from Psalm 48. A Psalm of David on a fourth day Sabbath. Psalm 94. David intended these Psalms to be sung on midweek Sabbaths intended for festival days, not for the regular weekly Sabbath. Certainly a glance at Jewish calendars will show that there were not only first-day Sabbaths, second-day Sabbaths, third-day Sabbaths, and fourth-day Sabbaths, there were Sabbaths for every day of the week. So you recall, I'm sure, the Jewish Sabbath calendar system, there was a Sabbath that occurred on the final day of the week, the seventh-day Sabbath, But there were also Sabbaths that occurred according to calendar dates. And then those would fall on particular days of the week depending on what year it was. And that's how they spoke of them. They called them first day Sabbath or second day Sabbath or third day Sabbath depending all the way up to sixth day Sabbath depending on how it fell out that particular week. You see that? So this was common parlance for the Jews of that time. The Septuagint was filled up with this kind of phrasing and the authors of the New Testament are using the same Greek phrasing that's used in the Septuagint, which they were all very familiar with. Now, it's not just in the Gospels. We also see this in the New Testament after the Gospels. Acts 13.42 is a a beautiful section here that has confused, again, many students of the Scriptures throughout the years, and translators as well. As you'll see here in verse 42, it says... So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. But here is the literal. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the Sabbath in between. What is the Sabbath in between? Pastor Kaiser. Paul preached to the Jews on two consecutive Sabbaths. And those two Sabbaths are mentioned in verse 14 and verse 44 of chapter 13 of Acts. In between there now, in Acts 13, verse 42, the Gentiles begged Paul to preach them to them on the Sabbath in between. What is the Sabbath that is in between these two consecutive Jewish Sabbaths? It was not the seventh day, which Paul treats as no longer binding on Christians, 
We'll look at that. But was instead the first day Sabbath, a day which all churches were commanded to keep, which we'll see in 1 Corinthians 16. So the Sabbath, in between the Sabbaths, was the Christian Sabbath. That according to the new covenant, which had sprung to life when Jesus was brought forth from the grave, the new covenant Sabbath is underway. The Old Covenant Sabbaths are still in place. The temple has yet to be destroyed. The Old Testament dispensation was still in place. They were both present for a time simultaneously. <clears throat> Colossians 2, 16 and 17, brothers and sisters, this is about all of the Old Testament Jewish requirements of days. The day requirements given at Mount Sinai are gone. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. All of the old covenant, and you see how it's written, food or diet, festival, new moon, Sabbaths, all that is the categories of the Mosaic law regarding the requirements of that law at that time. So it's not only dietary requirements that are done away with, but it's the days of the Old Covenant that are done away with. Those specific days, that specific calendar, those specific dietary requirements. We see this again, the same phrasing in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And it would make sense, wouldn't it? If the authors of the Gospels used this language to describe the day of the Lord, the new Sabbath, the new day of gathering then it would show up, wouldn't it, throughout the remainder of the New Testament, and it does. Acts 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So clearly this is the coming together of the saints for their weekly gathering to worship God, the breaking of the bread, the coming together face to face, and it's on the first day of the week. But it's not just the first day of the week. It is, again, as you can see there, the first day Sabbath. They're telling us that this is the new covenant Sabbath. Literally, now on the first day Sabbath, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul spoke to them. So here we have an example in New Testament practice, not only in chapter 13, but also chapter 20 of the book of Acts, where they call this day of worship the first day Sabbath. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And again, literally this means on the first day, Sabbath. And Paul gives them commandment, not only to meet on this day, but to lay things aside and to prepare to have everything collected ahead of time so that they wouldn't have to all be done at one time when Paul was there. Now, another description of this Sabbath day, this new covenant Sabbath day is the Lord's day. John says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Brothers and sisters, we are together now on the Lord's day. This is his day. Now, of course, every day belongs to him, but in a unique propriety, the Lord Jesus Christ owns this day as his very own. And he claimed it for himself for all time 
when the Father brought him forth from the grave on that great day of transition and change that we are learning about. Pastor Kaiser says, just as the Lord's Supper is a meal that is set aside for the Lord in a way that makes it unique, the Lord's day is a day which is set aside for the Lord in a way that makes it special. It is a day that is sanctified to the Lord. This is exactly the same Greek syntax as is used to describe the Lord's Supper. The Lord set aside one supper as belonging to him in a special way. And and since he is Lord of the Sabbath, he made the day on which Christ arose to be a day that is set aside as belonging to him in a special way. Though it had always been Christ's habit to meet corporately on Saturday, we see that in Luke chapter 4, he changed that habit so that now the only records we have of his meeting corporately, at least that are dated, are on Sunday. Since you, get, you see that, we can, we'll see that as we look through the post-resurrection appearances of Christ with his disciples, they were all on Sunday, the ones that are dated. Since Sunday is the Lord's day, it was the day for meeting with Jesus in worship. And we see all those texts there that are quoted. Pentecost was on a Sunday. And therefore, the disciples were all with one accord in one place. Why were they all with one accord in one place? Well, maybe they would have done that at other times. But on this day, it was the Lord's day. It was the first day Sabbath. It was the Christian Sabbath. Paul, arriving in Troas on Monday in Acts chapter 20, delayed his hurried trip until the following Monday so that he could worship with the church on Sunday. You can see that if you look closely at those texts. In chapter 20. So. When we look. At the structure. Of every gospel description. Of the resurrection. This idea. Is the first idea. And that's why I chose to make it. An entire sermon for us. It is. Worthy of emphasis. Especially. Because the. English translations miss the message. Yes, it's the first day of the week. But it's more than just the first day of the week. It's a Sabbath, which is the continuation of the Old Testament commandment that it be a perpetual sign forever. That word Sabbath carries with it that meaning from the Old Covenant that we are required to keep this day until he returns. It's not just the first day of the week, which would carry no connection to the old covenant commandments. It is the word Sabbath. We're here on that day. And it should and it will, as I emphasize at the end again, Teach us why we come here. The main reason we come here is to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, keep this Sabbath until he returns. The Westminster Confession of Faith, a secondary guiding document for our church. Chapter 21, section 7 says this. 
as it is the law of nature that in general a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God, so in His Word, by a positive, moral, and perpetual commandment, binding all men in all ages, He hath particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto Him, which, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, was the last day of the week. And from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in Scripture is called the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. See, the authors of the Westminster Confession of Faith didn't make this up based on tradition, brothers and sisters. They get this from the Bible. And I want you to have confidence in that. I want you to be able to know these Scriptures. I want you to be able to go to the Greek text and the Textus Receptus, the majority text, and see this reality and show it to people. Now, another really important idea that focuses and in many ways is an example of the joy of the resurrection, they didn't know it yet, is the phrase, very early in the morning. You see, these women demonstrate their eagerness to draw near to Christ's body. To apply these spices that they prepared. To place them on His body. That's why they're there. And that was the burial custom of the time. They did not sleep late on this day. Now, as far as they knew, His body wasn't going anywhere. There's no practical reason why they couldn't have slept in. Having kept the Jewish Sabbaths that we mentioned, they arise early on the first day of the week. Now, they didn't know it yet as as the Christian Sabbath, did they? They knew it was just the first day of the week. They had no knowledge that this was the new Christian Sabbath because they yet were not aware of the change. But now... By the gospel authors, it's called the first day Sabbath, looking back. And what do they do? They go eagerly to Christ's tomb. Early, eagerly. Even in mourning. Were were these happy women? Were these joyful women? Or were these crushed women? Is it not true that they're more eager to be near the dead Christ in mourning than most of us are to be near the living Christ rejoicing? They do not delay their love, even in mourning, even crushed. Bach says, the new week starts normally enough Having fulfilled the law of the Sabbath, the women go to the tomb to anoint the body. All the accounts refer to the first day of the week, but we've already discussed what that really says. But Luke further specifies the time with this Greek phrase. It means deep dawn. Apparently it is early in the morning, perhaps the initial portion of dawn, since John 20 verse 1 speaks of it still being dark. Matthew says after the Sabbath and the dawn, 
And Mark 16 says, early in the morning after the sun has risen. So you see another point emphasized here by all the Gospels is they got there early. And then Bach finishes, he says, the women went to the tomb probably as soon as they could see. If you've done any deer hunting, you know what this is like. You've got to get there early. You need your flashlight when you start your hunt. And then you get to your spot about the time you first to start, start make out a little bit of gray. And then it gets a little lighter. And then you finally can see. These women were there around this time that we call twilight, right? The dawn coming. And the, in the evening it slowly goes away into darkness. And in the morning it gradually comes to light. They were there. And it seems as though they wanted to be able to see his body as soon as possible. That's what it seems like. They knew that in the dark, they wouldn't be able to complete their task very well. They could have gone. It wouldn't have broken the Sabbath, because of course the Sabbath was already over. But they needed to be able to see practically. These women again demonstrate to us, do they not, their devotion and their love and the strength of attachment that they have to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, some questions for us now to examine ourselves in order to know and to love and to obey God ourselves more. Do you understand better now what day was the very first Christian Sabbath? So if someone were to ask you that before today, when was the first Christian Sabbath? Maybe you wouldn't have said the day of resurrection. And at this point in time, would you base your answer on Scripture or on tradition? Because if you base it on tradition, then you will certainly open yourself up to become a Seventh-day Adventist, <clears throat> or at least a Seventh-dayist. And, th- and there, are, there are people who, who love the Word of God and who are faithful to God's Word, who are tricked and tripped up on this topic And it really messes up their Christian life practically because they're trying to have a Sabbath on Saturday, but then they're also trying to worship with people on Sunday. And, and, you know, I've seen this, and it's confusing for them. Or they don't understand that it's actually a Sabbath and they think it can be any day of the week. We see the orderliness, do we not, of God's design for the global simultaneous worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that as he puts all of his enemies under his feet and brings this truth to our minds and to our hearts, we will see a day where as the sun rises on the Christian Sabbath, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as that line of demarcation travels over the entire globe, you will have community after community, church after church, worshiping Him and giving Him that entire 24 hours from start to finish. The globe worshiping Him. So what occurred on the first Christian Sabbath? Why is it special? Somebody else can answer. It's an easy question. What happened on the first Christian Sabbath? that turned it into the first Christian Sabbath? 
Brothers and sisters, death died once and for all. Think of it. Death conquered. The seed of the woman, victorious. Death, sin, hell, finished. Life, invincible life, eternal life, steps forth from the grave. Jesus Christ, the first born from the dead. Oh yeah, it's a new day. So, you know, we say resurrection, we say life from the dead, but do we really, do, have, can we ever deeply appreciate enough what happened on that day? Probably not. So what occurred on that day, brothers and sisters, is victory over sin, death, and hell. Okay. Now, question. Why do you come and worship God with His people on Sunday? Because I want you to do this with understanding. Right? Why are we here on Sunday? I hope that you will see that today's text answers that question for you. But why do we come? And why did those women go to the tomb that day? Does that give us some hint as to why we should come? They were going in mourning after the dead body of Jesus Christ, but do we come in celebration to the living body of the Lord Jesus Christ, touched by the one who doubted? Do we come to Him? Knowing that as sure as they saw Him and came to Him alive, Before he ascended, we come to him as well. And as surely as he taught them and touched them and fed them, he teaches us, touches us, and feeds us as well when we come here. Or do you come to an empty tomb in your mind, not expecting anything? What kind of expectancy do you have as you come to this place on the Do you expect to come and meet with the resurrected Christ who will teach you and embrace you and forgive you and meet with you and feed you and strengthen you and encourage you and guide you and sanctify you? He he will meet you and change you. He will give you what you need to become like Him and to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Do you come here with that kind of faith on the Lord's day, that kind of understanding, that kind of faith, and a heart to draw near to Him? What kind of spices in your heart are prepared for Him before you arrive on the Lord's day to worship Him? Because brothers and sisters, when he came forth from that grave, a fountain, an ocean, greater than the universe of hope came forth. And we come here and he promises that he will never die. 
by the power of an indestructible life. He will never die. Our hope in him never dims. It only grows no matter what you're facing. He is greater. He has conquered death. What can you face that is worse than death? The death of yourself. The death of a loved one. If he conquers death, He conquers everything. Amen. So I hope the simplicity of the resurrection from the dead and this new Christian Sabbath day that is yours and the eagerness that these women demonstrated will mark your understanding and your heart from this point forward as you come eagerly and expectantly to this place of an empty tomb. This place of life every Lord's Day after Lord's Day with His people. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice, O God, in what Jesus Christ accomplished. He, the firstborn from the dead, in perfection, the second Adam, Destroying death, bringing eternal life, casting our sin away and bringing us into his purity and his righteousness so that we can have peace in your presence and life everlasting. So that we can be brought into the power of the resurrection that drives away the darkness from our souls and brings forth the life the light of the Lord Jesus Christ in us and through us. Bless us to this end until we pass from this world to the next. And may this be true of your bride throughout the earth, that she would draw near to you Sunday after Sunday, the first day of the week, worshiping you, the resurrected, living, and reigning King and victor of history. In whose name we pray.